0: Well, I'm so excited to be back. It's been, um, it's been three weeks for me, I think, three weeks. Just me and the family, so it's, it's so wonderful to see your faces. I've really missed you all, um, especially lots of, there's lots of especiallys. I'm not going to name names, but I've missed so many of you. And um, so it's just so wonderful to be back here and to worship with you. And um, yeah, I, I have a message that I've been carrying for a wee while um, this morning, and so we'll, we'll see how that lands, but, um, but also just in preparing our hearts for coming up to 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, and so we're going to look at that a little bit. I've entitled it, Keeping It Supple. Everyone say supple. Supple, supple. yeah. What does that actually mean? I don't know. We'll find out malleable. Yeah, that's good. I like that. So uh, we're going to enter into these 21 days. 21 days is a long time, actually. Um, and and so we have chosen to really focus on uh, the person of Holy Spirit. So we've entitled it Come Holy Spirit. That's what this series of three weeks is going to look like. Come Holy Spirit. And uh, I was going to whet your appetite with a scripture, um, but I'm going to let you read it at home. So write this down. It is Isaiah 58, okay? It is the premier scripture when we talk about prayer and fasting. Every book I've ever read on fasting has this scripture, like, right in the center of it. It's kind of the crux of it all. So Isaiah 58, 6 to 12 specifically, but, um, you know, you're welcome to just jump right in that whole book. <laughs> um, so I really wanted to spend today looking at um, what God's saying for this year. For 2023, um, thank you. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> um, this is this is not really a conventional three-point sermon. What are those? Uh, <laughs> um, it's it's you could see it as a random splattering of Joss's ramblings, but I, I do believe it's, there's a prophetic flow in here, and um, and we've already seen that released this morning. So. Uh, I'm really excited for that. I want to want to start with two pictures um, that I believe are really relevant for us at this time, just to prepare our hearts. Like we're preparing our hearts over 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're preparing our hearts for the year and for our beloved uh, and for camp, which is going to be amazing. But just um, God has good things for us and planned for you um, for this year. So the first theme uh, it's kind of scattered throughout Scripture, but I want to read it here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18, verses one to four, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of the clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. That may, may be a little bit abstract, but this is, this is God uh, speaking to him about Israel, right? And you and I, uh, whether you know it or not, we're grafted into, into Israel. And he's saying, can I not do with you as I've done, as the potter would do with Israel? Job put it that we're jars of clay. Jars of clay, right? In 2 Timothy uh, 2.20, it says this, Now in a great house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. We are earthen vessels, like we're literally just humble lumps of clay, but we've been set apart. We've been declared holy and we have been sanctified by him. That is what causes you to be ready to be fashioned, to to be molded by the potter, not trying to make yourself into something. But all the while, we're remaining moist and supple, <laughs> that we'd be easily shaped. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says this in the ESV, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That He would be glorified by your humility. That when his holiness is exhibited through you, it's only because of him that no one can boast. Starting the year as a humble lump of clay. (laughs) The second image I have, um, it's spoken of really frequently in in sort of prophetic circles, is about new wineskins. But I, I, I just couldn't get around it. It's so pertinent for us. Matthew 9, 14 to 17, Um, John's disciples come and ask Jesus this question. How is it uh, that we and the Pharisees fast so often, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will feast. uh, Sorry, then they will fast. No one... (laughs) No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the water will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Do you know why new wineskins are necessary? Because we haven't really taken care of the old one. In ancient times, people would, uh, they'd make wine through like the fermentation process, you know. Aging. And that new unused wine skin, which is probably made of like goat or lamb, uh, they were filled with unfermented grapes. And that juice was left to age for like a period of time. Gases would form and the wine skin and the flavor and the color and all those botanical you know, that, that whole balance, the wine would grow. And because the wine was new, it would expand, and both the wine and the gases would push against that wine skin. If someone poured uh, unfermented juice into it like an old wine skin, all those gases that would form would cause that skin to burst. As a result, you'd lose both like your, your skin and your wine. But that leather wine skin is supposed to be regularly like massaged into, you know, rubbing oil into it to keep it supple, allowing it to have that capacity to stretch and to grow and to expand and to move. And your heart is the same. Our hearts need constant attention. Like to maintain, like to go from not being a heart of stone, but being a heart of flesh, our hearts need constant attention. They need that massaging, that oil rubbed into them. The wineskin only needs to be thrown away when it's gone too far. Like it's too far gone. It's too dried out. It's too wizened. (laughs) I believe God's speaking to us this morning about His oil. Our need to abide in his anointing presence, that secret place in his heart, the embrace of the Father, to maintain our suppleness. You know that image of uh, the ten virgins that are waiting there with their lamps, um, waiting for the bridegroom? Are we maintaining the oil in our lamps? When the bridegroom comes, will we be aflame? Will we be lit with his presence, like already a glow waiting for him? What about now, like in present tense? Present tense, is your lamp burning for him, or is it just sort of flickering and smouldering under a blanket—the blanket of whatever, Christmas turkey, <laughs> the the blanket of humanism? living for self pleasure pain avoidance you know that the suffering servant really revealed a way for us that humble way of laying down our lives in submission to the father's will cloaked in humility holiness and hunger for more of him ephesians 4:22 says it this way Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful de- desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The Greek word for "new or old," it doesn't just mean like "age or time, but also "nature" or essence. And so new, new wineskins by nature are elastic. They're, they're full of oils, they're supple, they're thick, they can be sewn into, they can be shaped. Old wineskins aren't, they're, they're, just, they're already stretched out, they're already thin, they're already rigid, they're brittle. It kind of makes it impossible for that process of maturing to take place. Because they lack the necessary capacity to hold the, the, the fermentation process. So Nothing's gained. Jesus teaches about this analogy in, like, Mark 2, Luke 5. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4, Colossians. Uh, And and he's really saying in that whole thing that the new nature that you and I have isn't compatible with the old way of life. Like, we can't have it both ways. Jesus told John's disciples, they were all, like, um, these desert prophet dudes who fasted like as a lifestyle, right? Um, he told them that the guests of the bridegroom don't need to fast while the bridegroom is present. But when he's taken away from them, then they'll fast. He was basically saying that the intimacy that my disciples are experiencing like in the present moment is that they're firsthand here with me. They have contact with me. They're walking in my presence. They're hearing my voice all the time. Uh, They are feasting rather than fasting right now. But when I'm away, they're going to long for my presence. They're going to yearn for my presence. They're going to fast for my return. And when Jesus left them, they would have to learn to know him, not according to their flesh, but according to the Spirit. They would need a new wineskin into which that new wine of the Spirit would be poured into. John sixteen seven, Jesus says this. He says, it is better, this is hard to fathom. I've always found this like, wow. It is better that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. It's better that I depart and I will send him to you. It's better that the Holy Spirit be with us. See, Holy Spirit was deployed at Pentecost, right? When the church was born. And my question is, what have we done with him since? It's it's a real question. What have we done with him since? Like with unlimited power and presence of God, just as Jesus had. You see, we've named our, our 21 days of prayer and fasting Come Holy Spirit because we want to know Him. We want to know His ways. We want to we go deeper into Him, into His ways this year. I really believe that there is a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God moving. How many will believe that? There is a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God, a fourth wave it's drawing back. I, I just spent some time uh, on the Sunshine Coast. My brother lives over there. And uh, we spent Christmas there. First time in like, since he got married, 2010. And uh, we went surfing together. And, um, and seriously, we're in the water a lot. And you can feel um, the pull of the wave as it forms. You know, in order for a wave to grow, the air around it has to be traveling faster than the wave. And also it means that the air sort of exerts this high pressure at the back of the wave and there's low pressure at the front and it pushes the wave up so that it's rideable. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Shucker. <Shaka. laughs> but as that wave grows, it also generates like this pulling effect. And, and you can sense the pull of the Holy Spirit in this season. I really, I really felt that there was a beckoning, even like November, October, just thinking about coming into 21 days of prayer and fasting for us this year, that there was a beckoning and an ushering in, like a deep upsurgence. The wind is blowing. And do you know that the birth pangs of revival are already starting to hit? I was doing some research, and I I just realized that the global growth of Christianity is at historically unprecedented levels. Isn't that insane? Last year alone, last year alone, there was a 1.75% increase trajectory of Christians, people becoming believers. That's like the fastest increase in decades. That means that out of the 7.888 billion people on earth— Something like 139 million people became believers last year. That's revival, right? When it impacts the hearts and lives of us humans and we turn to him. This is, uh, this is the Jewish year of 5783. Each year there's, um, there's a Hebraic calendar. and Each year there's a bunch of uh, Messianic prophetic rabbi dudes who... Uh, speak about what the, what the representation of the numbers are, right? Because the numbers represent letters, which represent word pictures. And uh, what I know about 2023 is that for believers, it is a unique opportunity to enter into Him afresh phase three. Let's call it a phase three. A phase three is like, you know, in Scripture how there's always three. It is like the past, the present, and the future. There's the the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and then the new covenant. There's the uh, Peter, James, and John. You know, think about the intimacy of John. The, the Egypt, the wilderness, and the promise. And so there's this year of entering into that third place, the promised land. That's what prophetically, the calendar represents this year. So that the Lord would deal bountifully with us. And what I know about phase two, I don't know about you, I, I don't love phase two, <clears throat> but what I know about phase two that is that if you don't learn the lesson of the wilderness, it won't be long until you're back there. <laughs> you know, like you just step up into, into the promise, into phase three, and like a a hatch opens up and you get warped back. You're like, no! Learn the lessons. Yeah. But it's always, this is the lesson, it's always about dependency on Holy Spirit, right? I mean, Jesus, the Son of Man, was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. To be tempted. He didn't tempt him but to be tempted, it then led him back. (laughs) And it was 40 days, you know, that beats 40 years, anytime. (laughs) But what happens in the promised land is there is a supernatural acceleration. The things that we've been yearning for, the things that we've desired in him to come to place to to shift, um, suddenly, there's suddenlies. For some of us, it's going to feel like that those Joseph moments, like you're coming out of the dungeon and you step into the palace and suddenly, uh, you know, suddenly he solves droughts. He solves world famines, you know. It wasn't about his indulgence. It was about him being positioned for influence. There's this moment last year, I'm going to get emotional just thinking of it, but we're uh, there was this visitation last year for us. Uh, one Sunday, His kibbutz glory just hit, and it was a foretaste, you know. Yeah. I heard of other churches um, that same Sunday just flagging the message and just waiting on Him and yeah. His presence, waiting on just posturing their hearts before Him. And it, but He's sovereign, right? <laughs> And yet, he, hes awaiting us the whole time. He's sovereignly. He's awaiting a people who he can trust with more of himself. All I heard in that moment when I was standing on stage or on the f- somewhere, whatever, was "get out of the way." Yeah. That's what I felt in the spirit. Get out of the way. Yeah. And we we're always tempted to do or say something, you know. <laughs> but the secret the correct response is actually just to stay down and get out of the way. (laughs) Stay lower. You know, and with greater measures of His glory, which are coming, greater measures of responsibility are required in stewarding His holiness. You know, that's not to say that we're not already holy. Like, you're righteous because He's already done that completed work in your born-again spirit. Your new creation is perfect and innocent. But our soul still has some transformation to go through, right? To stand in His holiness. Matthew puts it this way. Matthew 17, 1 to 13, tells the story of the transfiguration, you know, with Peter and James and John. And they led up this high mountain by Jesus, and His appearance has suddenly changed quite dramatically in their presence, right? His face is shone with some sort of heavenly glory. He's clear and bright like the sun, And his clothing becomes white as light. And Peter had this sort of culturally appropriate idea. Lord, shall I make three sacred booths? (laughs) I'm going to erect a tabernacle. I'm going to pitch a tent uh, to commemorate you and Elijah and Moses. They appeared before him. And so it's kind of like, I don't know. in In times like this, when we suddenly realize how short our religious models fall. You know, like, would it be appropriate to pitch a tent for you right now, Lord? And there's that's, I mean, they're symbols of our respect, but those things become idols if we allow them to. Mount of Transfiguration, the glory, the glory cloud then covered them, and the Father spoke just as he had over Jesus at the baptism. He said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. And only then did the disciples really realize the gravity of the moment. And they fall face down, terrified. They fall face down, terrified. He throws away that tent idea. <laughs> get down and get out of the way. They'd probably trivialized, they'd grown so over-familiar with the holy God of the universe, Yahweh, whose name they wouldn't even mention, but who was incarnate before them, divine humanity as the Son of Man. They had probably grown over-familiar. But by His Spirit, God, you know, He dwells in every single one of us, every believer. He has incarnate our very human spirit. And he sovereignly holds all matter together. There's some science behind it too, but it's him behind that. He, he inhabits light, he inhabits truth, he inhabits love, he inhabits holiness. And yet some way he promises uh, that when we're gathered together, he's there in our midst. Like he's already in our midst, but he turns himself up in greater measure. You know, he says, I I promise to never forsake you or leave you. And yet he inhabits the praises of his people. He wasn't gone anywhere. (laughs) He's always there. And yet there are greater measures in our midst. He inhabits the praises of his people. When God turns himself up in our presence, it's appropriate to respond. However, to cut through the models of the past, our cultural lenses and our propensity to idolatry, surrender is the only response. Surrender is the only response. And I just, I want to honor you both, Catherine and Gideon, just as we start the year, because I have seen, well, even this morning, Gideon taking a knee with tears in his eyes before the king. And I've seen the posture of your hearts in surrender afresh to him. So I want to honor you for that. But each one of us has this opportunity as we start the year to surrender our hearts before Him. Refraining from trying to be appropriate, uh, like from trying to make something happen or drumming something up, um, you know, the (laughs) self-effort, but just submitting, taking a posture of awe, yielding to His ways. Like we don't have to get it right, I very rarely do. (laughs) Honest. (laughs) We don't have to be dignified. We don't have to be culturally appropriate. You know, what he's looking for is obedience. A contrite heart that he can trust. Who's going to follow his lead. Be responsive to his whisper, to his nudge, to his unction. It was interesting, actually, later on in that transfiguration narrative um, you know this is, disciples very rarely understood what Jesus was on about, right uh, in the in the gospels man you all you see is their lack of comprehension luke eighteen thirty four says the disciples did not understand any of this, its meaning was hidden from them, they had no idea what he was talking about and that 's their usual response. but in this moment where they 've just encountered the glory and the Father has spoken. There's this change. His spirit of truth brings revelation. Like he reveals himself to their senses, but he also allows, they perceive him and they get truth suddenly. Like his word becomes clear. You know, scripture without the word of God is only dry and confusing. Actually, it's dangerous. It was God-breathed and it needs to remain God-breathed. So why are we praying and fasting? (laughs) That's my question. Why are we praying and fasting? There's this dude, does anyone know Lou Engle? Yeah, he's kind of a modern day John the Baptist, I reckon. And like his call is really to mobilize prayer and fasting, right? So he prophesied this. He prophesied that the bridegroom fast of the last day's church will become more intense than the fasting of John the Baptist. Think of locusts and honey. The church is going to long for his presence more than even John because she is his bride. She will be more ravished by the love of the bridegroom than even the friends, John, of the bridegroom. See, the closer we come to revival, to second coming, to the intensifying of his presence, um, there will be an intensified fasting. Because it's part of the process, it's part of the end time mandate of the church. Ephesians 5.27 says this. says that the bride will be without spot or wrinkle that we would be without spot or wrinkle. I mean, I've just spent some time in the sun and I'm getting older, spit wrinkly. <laughs> but he's talking about our hearts, that we would be pure and holy as his. that the bride would represent him. Engel says that in denying himself the legitimate pleasures of life, he finds he gains easier access to the supreme pleasures of knowing God and encountering him. This dude hates fasting, but he loves it at the same time. Because every time he fasts, God's grace has always put the fire back in his heart. I can think of so many examples, but one of my favorites is Randy Clark. 1984, Randy Clark goes on a 20-day pra, uh, fast. And he's, he's praying for direction, right? Right? Because he wants to leave the Baptist denomination, love the Baptists. But at the time, he was praying, do I leave the Baptist denomination? And for 21 days, he went on a press. The day he broke his fast, he got fired. (laughs) There was a petition that went out and (laughs) they all decided he would get the sack. But do you know what? He left with such a peace. He left with such a peace, because he was like, "Well, this is the answer to my prayer." And you know what happened? The following year, he went on a 40-day fast, the first 40-day fast before going to Toronto, for the purpose of praying for an increased anointing. I'm pretty sure we know how that turned out, right? It was a global impact. Fasting doesn't earn us brownie points. It doesn't gain us merit. It doesn't give us special favor with God. It doesn't make Him indebted to our sacrifice. Fasting from legalistic motives. Well, we've seen that play out through the Pharisees and things. It was just, hey, hypocrites, you know. Keith Green sung it this way. He says, to bay is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not your prayers of ice. So we fast in humility out of obedience as an expression of our desire to know Him better, to change our lifestyle and to focus on His presence. Randy says, fasting is a sign of our inability to affect the change needed in society apart from His grace. Fasting is a sign of our inability to affect the change needed in our society apart from His grace. It's only Him. It's a posture of humbling ourselves before Him to seek His face because He alone can increase in our lives. He alone can increase that He may be exalted through us. I'm gonna leave you with these lyrics. This is Keith Green again. My eyes are dry, my faith is old. My heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done with an old heart like mine. Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. i love it if you stand with me. Sometimes it's nicer to do a soft entrance into the year. (laughs) I just really believe that God wants us to start the way we're going to finish. And so the band are going to wash over us. They're going to Worship over us. And I just want you to spend this time just consecrating your heart to him, your life to him. Lord, I give you, I give you all of this for all of you this year. We just humble ourselves before you, Father. May we be that clay that's malleable, supple, that you may rework our hearts, fashion us. And we rub oil into that wineskin that it may be supple and new. Or we discard the old and we (laughs) we step into the new. We just surrender our hearts to you, Lord.